Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you once again. We come before you for instructions, light and wisdom from your word. We're asking God of glory that there'll be effectual transformation taking place within us as your word comes forth. You've said in your word that which you gave out is life and spirit. We demand God that all of this will be manifested to us, that not just be mere listening or mere hearing, but come into the place of spiritual understanding as you deem fit for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we continue with uh, our study on restitution. We are trying to say that God did not really ordain restitution for the Christian community. And uh, on the first series, we tried to define what constitution stands for, the way it is taught in the church. And uh, uh, basically, what it means is if you, if you repent, you come to the Lord, you have to do restitution. In other words, you pay back, maybe if you are a thief, the things you stole, and so on and so forth. And this has been practiced. I mentioned to you last week as well how that in certain denominations you find that maybe a man married two wives before he get to know the Lord. And, and they will say, well, you got to return one of the women. You know, and they try to back up that teaching from Genesis 20. You get to Abimelech and Abraham and then Sarah. I tried to explain to us that that can't work because in the first place Sarah never slept with Abimelech so they were not union there was no joining so there was no way to say that Sarah was Abimelech's wife and again the world told us that God said he should return the wife to Abraham and Abraham will have to pray for Abimelech so we try to find out the question, okay, fine, if you return the woman, maybe your second wife or your third wife, who are you sending her to? That's the question. And then, who is going to pray for you? Because Abimelech has to pray for Abraham. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So that theory doesn't work in that regard. And then we establish the fact that, come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul expressly said, wherever you are called, you are in a And writing to Timothy told him, he who seeks the office of a bishop should be husband of one wife. So expressly was saying, well, if you have to decide to become a pastor, a deacon, then have one wife. That's what I was trying to say. And the implication then was that there were several people who were married to uh, more than one wife, and there were also people who were not even married in the congregation. That's why Paul was saying that. I'm going to explain that properly when we go down. 
But again, I try to make you understand that the law of restitution in the Old Testament was both civil and spiritual. And I'm going to make you see that. There were basically civil rules that were made for the community of Israel to live by. They were the things that were to guide the people in their mutual relationship. It was not basically a doctrinal stand as to what salvation attains. So we find that in the Old Testament, God was both a civil and a spiritual ruler. Was a civil ruler because it was theocratic. And then it was a paramount ruler because it was spiritual. It was your head. Now, it says, find that an offense against established law normally was both a civil and spiritual offense as far as Israel was concerned. In other words, if you sin, you have it on two ways. You are to make compensation on the spiritual side and on the civil side. So for instance, if you look at the whole of Exodus 22, like we read last week, 1 to 14. You see that. But let's look at Leviticus 6, 2 to 5. Leviticus 6, 2 to 5. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I, I would like us to look at that. Um, just bring it down very quickly. Leviticus 6, 2 to 5. And then we'll be able to see other comparison here. So here we find that, in fact, let's just read up to verse 7. I'm going to take it all to verse 7. If a soul sin, I commit a trespass, commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in anything taken away by violence, or have deceived his neighbor, look at the next thing, or have found that which was lost, and lied concerning it, and swear it falsely. In any of these, in any of these, that man doeth sinning during. The next thing says, Then it shall be because he had sinned and is guilty that he should restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he had deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep all. The last thing which he found, verse 5 says, or all that about which he had sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle and shall add the fifth percent of his part more thereunto and give it unto him to whom it appreciated in the day of his trespass offering. Notice that word trespass offering there. And then Verse 6 says, And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, and a ram. And I want you to get this. A ram without blemish out of the flock, with the estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. Look at the next thing. And I want you to know that very important. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him. For anything of all that he had done in trespassing during. Did you get that? You steal and you want to do restitution. You have to add fifth part of what you stole. 
And not just that, you must not just come restoring to the person because you are sinning against God, you're sinning against man. And for your sin to be forgiven for sinning against God, for either lying or stealing, you bring a ram. Are you following that? Yeah, so it's in two ways. You either, I mean, you, are, you can't say you've done restitution without a ram. It's, it's practically not possible. In the Jewish setting, if you must do restitution, then you're going to come with a ram. Let's assume, let's assume maybe what you are restituting is 20,000, which you took for somebody or whatever the case may be. You're trying to pay back that money before the Lord, as a matter of fact, then you're also going to come with a ram to the priest to pray for you as the case may be to sacrifice. I don't know if you understand that. In terms of forgiveness of sin, they have to do with atonement. Jesus is our atonement. Praise the living God. Are you following that? So this is the way restitution will be practiced. So the question tonight, if anybody do restitution today, if you want to try to do restitution, which ram are you offering? Because if you really have to practice restitution, you can't just take the money back or take whatever done back to the person you must offer an animal. Praise the Lord. So, we have the offering of the blemish, which is the spiritual side, like I said before. Then the civil side is the money are returning. This is the way it was practiced in Israel. Amen? Right. And we know that the unblemished ram is a type of Christ for us. You understand that? Okay, praise the Lord. Right. Um, just like we said, it has to come together with restitution. And what is restitution? Forgiveness of sin. For what we are seeing here, the Lord is going to pardon you. You are going to get back whatever. Now we are saying it is practically impossible in our setting. Because like I just mentioned, there is no way you are going to bring an animal. And to which priest are you bringing an animal? By implication, you want to practice in the church and you are doing restitution. Even after you are taking the money or whatever to the individual, that you need to bring a ram to me or bring a goat to me. Then I don't understand. I can't see any on which of the denominations that are teaching restitution that are actually going back to the priest or to the pastor with a ram. I haven't seen that. Praise the Lord. So, that ram is called restitution offering. You take time to read Leviticus chapter 7. You are going to find that. Therefore, true and authentic restitution under the mosaic legacy system isn't just paying back or compensating for the wrong you've done it must be accompanied by what an animal sacrifice if one is missing then you have not done restitution if you take only the money without the ram you've not done it if you take only the ram without the money that you are going to pay back you have not done it and so, the question we ask ourselves is, if that is the way it was practiced, how do we practice today? And how do you call it a doctrine in the first place? Praise the Lord. Alright. So, restitution under the law is, is, not, is, is not either or. No. What I mean is, either you're taking the ram or you're taking the money. No. It's a complete package. You must take the ram and take the money at the same time. Is that okay? Right. You don't have a choice. Both must go together. And if one is missing, then you have not done restitution. 
Hallelujah. In other words, restitution, whenever a ritual is performed without the offering of an unblemished ram, it is not true restitution. That's what I'm trying to say. So even if anybody needs to practice it in our setting, what I mean our setting, the Christian community, as it were, without the animal sacrifice, you have not done restitution. So others were claiming to be doing restitution. They are not actually doing restitution because nobody is offering an animal alongside whatever they are doing. Nobody. Praise the Lord. And I'll try to give you um, a simple illustration, I think, last week as well. The young man, what led me into this teaching, who wrote to Waik. You know, I put this on Facebook and somebody said, Pastor, we were very zealous, but without knowledge. I wrote to Waik too. <laughs> you understand that? Right. And I like the way Waik people said that to the young man. I mean, whoever he was, he just sent to them and said, uh, yeah, you still always were writing his papers. And so he's writing for forgiveness. Why I say no, that is not how it works. If you think you stole, that means you obtained the certificate that we issued you. So you return that. And not that alone. You have used the certificate to obtain a degree. So please return the degree together with the school sites. Then I wonder what happened to the young man. You see what I mean? Praise the Lord. So, all of this I'm trying to say was supposed to be nothing but just moral laws, like you find in the book of uh, Mighty chapter 5, verse 17, Romans 10, verse 4. Let's just look at that. Mighty 5, 17, and then Romans 10, verse 4. Mighty 5, 17. Praise the Lord. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophet. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Alright? Okay, go with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is not... Ah, well, Adam, let's go back a little bit to verse 1 and just take it down. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That means they are not saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. Or the next thing. And he said, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal of God, but are not according to knowledge. What's the next thing? For they've been ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they have a different righteousness from God's own righteousness. Is that okay? They are righteousness based on the law. Their performance. Okay, the next thing he said, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. Did you get that? Good. So, when you want to practice restitution and you call it a doctrine, which now means you establish your righteousness, then you are out of Christ. Because Christ is the end of the law to everyone that do what? That believe it. He came to fulfill the law. He came to complete it. Praise God. Are we here? And so that is why in John chapter 1 verse 29, the Bible refers to him as the Lamb of God. Remember that. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
very simple. John 1.29. So, so our restitution, I mean, uh, that's Jesus. He offered himself as the offering. We can say he did the restitution for us. Because like I was trying to say, if you owe some debt, you must do restitution, then you must come with a lamb. You must come with a lamb. Jesus offered himself, so therefore, we do know that it becomes a restitution for us, if you will, want to put it that way. He paid for our sin with his death. Therefore, God is no longer holding or counting or imputing sin unto men today because of this. Corinthians 5, 19 tells you the same thing. It was made right sin for us who knew no sin. Praise the Lord. Right. So we find out this does not stop a believer from making what they call redress or effort to right wrongs done. For instance, the Bible tells us when you want to pray and you remember that your brother has offended you or your brother is angry with you. Leave your prayers there. I mean, your sacrifices there. Go and make amen. That doesn't stop us. But that is not restitution. That is basically moral laws that God put in place, which even um, James talks about that, right? When he talks about faith without works, it's not talking about work in terms of, you know, standard. Abraham believed God, Abraham had faith, Abraham had work. So simple obedience of God's word and in the sense that God intended us to live in peace. Praise the living God. Right. So that is not in any way talking about restitution. That's what I'm trying to say. So, the basic concept, therefore, you know, that God required, I mean, in terms of, you want to say, God required restitution for you to make heaven and all that. That is completely a lie. God doesn't require restitution for you to make heaven. Now, I'm going to show you some of persons in the Bible that God saved and they, they never talked about restitution. And if time permits, we'll look at the case of Zacchaeus, who is also talking about. Is that okay? So like we said before, God was both a civil and a religious ruler of the Jewish people. All offenses established by the law was both spiritual and civil. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Alright. So, let's make some progress here. Um, where am I? Let me share this with you. Now, if the people, for instance, because the emphasis is you must pay back or restore back to the person you offended. So let's ask this question. And I think I asked the question last week as well. If, for instance, the people you offended are dead, what do you do? You want to do restitution, right? And the person you offended, or you stole the money, as a matter of fact, is now dead. What are you going to do? You find there isn't anything. So, if nothing is going to happen, that means you lost your salvation in the way we are teaching it. Praise the living God. Good. So, because here yeah, you cannot do restitution. The person is dead. And the scripture didn't say go and do it to the family or relations. There's nothing like that. And God is not a partial God. If you want to do restitution, do it. Praise the Lord. All right. 
Um, for instance, again, let's put it this way. You know, in the scriptures, it is written, those who feel that this thing will be practiced the way it is. But the Bible also tells us that he that caused father or mother should be stoned to death. I'm not sure we, 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 we do have all our relations. I mean, whatever it is that have never offended or caused father or mother in our society. And we haven't seen anybody being stoned to death. If that is the way we must practice, a constitution which is a legal law for the Jewish nation, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Must be upheld, we must practice it. Why is it that we don't practice things like if you offend mother or father, stoned to death? Who have ever done that? Praise the Lord. Are you there? All right, so we know nobody have done that. For instance, in Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 44, we have the case of the thief that was on the cross with Jesus. We're going to read a little bit very fast. Verse 41. And we did justify for, now the second thief was talking, the first one said, well, if you say Son of God, deliver us, save us, you know, from this cross, whatever. Second thief now responded, or the thief now, we indeed justify for we received due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you cometh into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shall thou be with me where? In paradise. Praise the Lord. So, the question is, if restitution is what you must do when you are saved, why didn't Jesus tell this thief to come down first from the cross, go and do restitution before he can be saved? Are you following what I'm saying here? Today, remember the man was a thief. He didn't give him any condition. He didn't even say, okay, even while on the cross, try to talk to the people you stole from, let them forgive you, then you come into paradise. Jesus never mentioned anything about what he did. He didn't even address him as, you thief. No. Today thou shalt be with me where? In paradise. Praise the Lord. So, there was no question of, you know Jesus has all the power to make this man come out of the cross. He should have just simply said, okay, now I'll speak to you. Come down, you know, all the bruises in you, they are forgetting. Just go do restitution and come back and then get saved. Jesus never did any of those things. So why do you have to tell people they must do restitution before they are saved? When Jesus himself practically here demonstrates to you for everybody to understand that you don't need that for you to be saved. Now we talk of making heaven. Praise the Lord. Alright. We look at something like in Acts chapter 8. Let's look at verse 1. Acts chapter 8 verse number 1. You know in Acts chapter 7 where well, Stephen was stoned to death and record of it that Apostle Paul was among the people that stoned him to death. In fact, he heard the clothes of those who were doing this stoning and the things of Stephen. So, but Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that unto Stephen's death. Right? And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the 
apostles. Verse 2 says, And the devout man carried Stephen to his barrier and made great lamentation over him. As for Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing the people. I mean, the men and women committed them to where? To prison. Now, Paul killed so many people. Is that okay? When God met Paul on the road to Damascus, did he ever reminded him of the people he killed? That's the question. Did he say, okay, fine. Uh, you did all of these things. Now the people are dead. Go to the relations of the people you killed. And confess that you killed their people. Was there anything like that? So, you find that every example that they try to give about restitution have no foundation. God is not requiring anything of your past to save you. Nothing of your past. We saw the example of the thief. We have just seen this one of Apostle Paul. Praise the living God. There was no, I mean, no record like, okay, you, you know the Stephen, Stephen that was killed, you know, you made it possible for Stephen to be killed, so go and locate the relations of, of Stephen and make restitution to that. There was nothing like that. Praise the Lord. So, restitution in this context, like people put it, is on zero. It doesn't work. I'm going to give you another example. Philemon chapter 1 verse 4. Philemon 1 verse 4. Paul is writing now to Philemon. Philemon chapter 1. It's one chapter. Verse 4. Can you find it? What do you say? I should wait for you. You're looking for Philemon somewhere? You don't find Philemon in the book? It's not in your Bible. But you know there's Philemon in the Bible. Okay, let's read. I'm going to read here. Alright, now you find it now? <laughs> okay, he said, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all men that the communication of their faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. Wherefore though I might be more bold in Christ to enjoy, enjoy thee that that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake Rather beseech thee, being such as one Paul, the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Follow the argument. Nesma was once a servant of this man and it's like he, he didn't acted well, he stole whatever the case may be. You understand that? And then finally repented. Verse 12. 
whom I have sent again that thou should receive him, that is my own bowels, whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But with either hand, I mean, with either mind, will I do nothing that the benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. And now say verse 15, for example, he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever. Not now as a servant, Onesimo was a servant of Philemon, but as, not now as a, as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Then verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Praise the Lord. And never saying, if you are wrong thee or owe thee aught, pull that in what in my account. I Paul have written with my own hand, and I will repay it. Either I do not say to thee how thou oughtest me, and that is even thy own self. Now, what is happening here? Philemon was a servant of, I mean, Onesimus was a servant of Philemon. And it's like he stole certain things, whatever the case may be. Is that okay? Now, finally he got repented. Even Paul had to get him saved while he was in prison. Now he sent Onesimus back to Philemon. And he's telling Philemon, receive him not as a servant, but as a servant of Christ, just like me. If you feel he's owing you anything, put it in my account. Paul did not tell Onesimus, go back to Philemon and do restitution for all the things you stole in your master's house. Are you following what I'm talking about? Onesimus was saved and he saved. In fact, he had to be sent back to the very house where he was. Praise the Lord. So where is restitution here? And let's look at how Paul even described this man furthermore. Go with me now to Colossians 4, let's look at verse 7, then to verse 9. Hallelujah. Verse 7, Colossians. All my station, Tychitos, declare unto you, who is a beloved brother, and a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your heart. With who? Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Did you see that? Onesimus was a thief, whatever description that could be given to him. Paul is referring to him as now a minister. There is no condition attached to his being saved. It's never described anywhere that Paul said, Onesimus, listen, now you are coming to the Lord, and for you to be able to actually be saved, Go back to Philemon, make amend, return everything you stole. Remember, Philemon was still alive. Is that okay? Good. Paul never told Onesimus that. So why will you now tell somebody who is converted in your church 
that he must go back and do restitution somewhere, whatever. I mean, it's undescribable what we teach in the church. That is not Christianity one bit. Neither are we even fulfilling the law. Because like I said in the beginning, if you must fulfill it in terms of the law of Moses, then you must go with an animal sacrifice. So, on all ground, they are just practicing nothing but religion. Not Christianity. Not even the Old Testament. They are not doing it. Praise the Lord. Are we see here? Alright. So, we find that Paul never asked Onesimus to restitute what he stole from Philemon. Onesimus got converted. Simple. And that's the end of the story. He received Christ. And that's the end of the story. No question of go and do restitution, go and do some stuff, you know, the things that maybe you stole, return them to your master, and all of that, and all of that. There was nothing like that. Nesimo was saved, became a servant of God, in spite of whatever thing he may have done when he was with the Philemon as a master. Are we following the story? So we've taken the case of Paul, he killed Never do restitution. We took the case of who? What's the first one we took before Paul? You can remember? <laughs> you got to remember these things. What the first person example we gave before we gave that of Paul? We talked about the thief on the cross. Is that okay? He was saved without any recommendation by Jesus Christ for him to do restitution. And then we find that the case of Paul, he killed Nobody asked him to do anything called restitution. And I will just see in the case of Onesimus. He also stole whatever the case may be. He got in on the Lord. Paul never asked him to do restitution. He was saved. He became a servant. Let's look at another story in the case of um, the Philippian jailer, for instance. Acts 16. Let's look at verse 20. Acts 16, verse number 20. Praise God. Acts 16 verse 20. Bible says, And brought them to the magistrate. That's Paul and Silas. Is that okay? Brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Verse 21. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the Bible says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded them to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stock that he chained them. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners had them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Praise the Lord. There was a great earthquake. And we are made to understand. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were loosed. What was the next thing. And the Bible says, And the keeper of the prison are walking out of his sleep. And seeing that the prison doors opened. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners 
have been fled. That's the thinking that they've gone away. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Was the next thing. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came in trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Was the next thing. And brought them out and said, What must I do to be saved? I want you to follow this story now. What's the next thing? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Amen. I mean, here was the jailer who had been working for the government. Now, are you saying this man has never defrauded anybody before? He hasn't taken bribe. He hasn't done. I mean, was such a clean man? What was the recommendation Paul gave to this man? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul never told this man to go and do restitution. You are not only going to be saved, you and your household are going to be saved. Are you following the picture? Paul never said go and do restitution. So this jailer, by no means, because that is not part of what really saves you. So when people say if you don't do restitution, you can't go to heaven, it's all lies. They have no clue as to what they are teaching. They have no understanding as to what the Bible is talking about. They are just religious fathers who have stepped deep in ignorance of what the word of God is saying. Making fool of people and confusing them the more as to whether they are saved or they are not saved. Because by the time they are saved and they tell them, you must go and do this, must go and do that. And they are unable to do that, even if they try to do it. They have a conscience that is more free, that they are saved. You don't need anything. You don't have to do anything to be saved. The condition that Paul gave you is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved and your household. Praise the living God. And that is the gospel we preach. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's all. Hallelujah. Alright. So, again we see this as a practical example. And if I ask them, one thing, I mean one bit, telling them to go and confess to anybody or go and make restitution to anybody, it never told them that. Praise the Lord. Another typical example we can take from the Bible, even if we don't read, you know it. We're talking about Colinius. Colinius was saved. Is that okay? Right. We are not told that Peter told Colinius to go and do restitution anywhere. We are not told that. Even the, 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 this father of faith would even teach this restitution. I don't even know if they themselves practiced it. But most times they make these laws that they don't even practice. So Colinius was saved, he and his household, there was no mention of restitution made on those people. Just like the jailer. Are we still here? Praise the Lord. I'm giving this sense in the New Testament of people who were saved. And no record shows that they did restitution. Therefore you can't be thinking about restitution if you are a child of God, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you confess him as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have anything to do with restitution. Not a doctrine, 
not Bible teaching. No, 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 no. It's all religion. It's all religion. Somebody was speaking to me because of the post I made on the issue of restitution on Facebook. Some of you saw it. And the person tried to DM me by asking a question, talking about, okay, what about, what was he trying to say? Okay, um, he was bringing it from this perspective. You did something to somebody and the people are dead. What about the relations? Why not you go to a relation? You must have uh, a conscience of offense towards God and towards men. I said, no, no, no. In the book of Acts, when Paul used that word, he was dealing with the issue of resurrection. He wasn't talking about restitution. Offense to one man means I'm going to preach what restitution, I mean resurrection stands for that God intended in the scripture. My conscience is free that I'm declaring the truth to you. Just like God asked her to declare. That's what he means. By conscience, word of offense towards God and towards man. He wasn't talking about restitution in any way. Paul himself never did restitution. So why would he say that? Praise the living God. Then I ask a question. You is talking to me. It's possible that when you were young, or any of your relation, for instance, must have gone to sleep with young ladies, break their virginity, and now they are old. Now you say you, have, and you didn't marry them, right? You stole their virginity. So what happened? How are you going to go restore that thing? You got to restore them to who they were. You see how crazy this thinking is. What are you going to do? And then, because you can't do that, you are not going to have a conscience that is so, I mean, troubled and worried and disturbed all the time. Because there's no way you are going to go and restore the virginity of the girl that you stole her virginity. Or you think it's only money that is restitution? No. Any offense, isn't it? It could be stealing, it could be killing, it could be... You just think about all of those things. So you think that this is a very stupid teaching. It puts you in bondage. It doesn't give you freedom in your heart as to believe that you are saved. Let's look at something in the book of um, Isaiah chapter 6. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verse 1 down. Let me just read that. And I'll show you something there. You have a lot of people that rape women, rape, you know, and then steal their virginity. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train did fill the temple. And the next thing says, Above his stool the seraphim, each one having six wings, with twin they covered his face, and with twin they covered his feet, and with twin he did fly. And the Bible says, And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The glory is a train that fill the earth, fill the temple. Some other time we discuss that. And the post of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with what smoke, which is the glory of the Lord, like the incense. Is that okay? Right. Then said I, Woe is me, take note of this, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And dwell in the midst of the people of our clean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And then the next thing says, And he said, It, I mean, he, he laid it upon my mouth. 
and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin what? Purge. Simple. Isaiah said, We are simple people. The tongue was taken from the altar, touched his mouth, and said, Today your sins are taken away, your iniquity is purged. Instantly, you don't do anything about that. You are saved, you are saved. By implication, change your tongue. You are not a man with those thin lips, you are not a man with, I mean, whatever the case may be. You are saved right now. By reason of this, that is touching your tongue. Praise the living God. Are we sitting there? All right. So, that is that. I just read it for you to see how instantly one is supposed to be saved. There's no process of, you know, all of those things we do, they're just not about religion. Hallelujah. And a man was trying to ask a question. So what about if a man commits adultery with the person's wife, or I mean, a man, won't the man come and confess to the, to the, to the wife so that he can make amends, so that he can be apart? I said, what is that supposed to mean? For instance, let me put it this way. What happened to David and Uriah and Bathsheba? Do we know this story? Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. Is that not true? David killed Uriah. I even married Bathsheba. Where did he go and make restitution? And God said, this man is a man after my own heart. Did he say so? Praise the Lord. So, let's now, for instance, draw the curtain today by looking at the life of Zacchaeus. Because this is one of the major, major scriptures, just like I said. Case of Zacchaeus, case of uh, King Abimelech. These are the two major scriptures that are used to back up this teaching. So let's consider life of Zacchaeus for a moment. Uh, I try to make us understand here, I mean, from the very beginning, that there are moral laws and there are spiritual laws. Is that okay? Zacchaeus, the Bible refers to, was a child of Abraham. That means he was a Jew. So, he understood the law. But Jesus never told him Go and do restitution. He is the one that volunteered to say, I will give this much. You understand that? Good. Remember, he was a task collector. In fact, the Bible refers to him as the chief collector. Chief task collector. That means he was a dude when it comes to defrauding people. You understand that? It was a voluntary thing he did. And if we must take it from what we've seen so far, remember Leviticus 6 and 7 also tells us that if you must do restitution, you should bring a ram. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now here is Zacchaeus saying he wants to return. And if you think it was restitution, the question is where is the ram? Are you understand what I'm saying? There was no ram there. 
Therefore, it's not restitution. It is just a voluntary thing. And somebody that's worthy in a society. We had, I don't, maybe I'm, I'm just, but I know what um, our late brother did, evangelist Mushesha, when he, he, he gave his life to God. Remember that. How he started spending money for the gospel. It wasn't restitution. And that's exactly because he had money and he was now pushing money, doing things, helping people. I mean, that's what it means. And this is exactly what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus had money. So he was saying, I want to give back to the society. I want to use my money to help people. He wasn't doing restitution. It's a wrong teaching. Because if he wants to practice restitution, that means he must come with a ram. He's going to come with a ram, take it to the priest. Now, when he said that, he didn't even say, I'm going to the priest. He simply said, I'm going to give out to the society. Because he was a wealthy man. So that was no restitution. Jesus never told him, go and do restitution. Are we still here? Praise the Lord. So this is nothing but just moral laws. His mind just told him, oh, you have all of this money. Just go and help people. Go take care of people. Praise God. I know of one man in town, you know, he's rich. And what, what, what is he doing? Together even with the daughter, he has so brought this understanding to the family that what do they do? They go to orphanage home and give scholarship to children. As soon as he was saved, he embarked on that. He's giving back to the society. That is not restitution. There is no individual that they are going to meet to say, I stole this much from you during contract. I did this from you. That's nothing like that. Because they know they don't even have to do it in the first place. So what is it? Well, I want to give to society. So they go to orphanage and take time. I'm going to give scholarship to this one. You know, that's what they do every year. They have a list of children in the university that they are training. Sometimes the daughter comes struggling. Oh, I'm going to train this one. The father will say, no, leave this one for me. You understand that? It's nothing to do with restitution. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. Praise the living God. So to say Zacchaeus was doing restitution is a big lie. Because it did not match up exactly with what restitution was supposed to be in terms of the Jewish order. He didn't match up with it at all. One bit. Praise the Lord. Are you still there? Very good. Remember what? Okay, let me just look at this. Luke chapter 3. Verse 12 and 13. You know? 12 and 13. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? This is John baptism. What's the next thing? He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And that's exactly what it was a publican. Tax collector. That means people were cutting corners and taking more from the exact thing that we're supposed to collect. So, Paul was telling them here, this is what you should do. Why were they doing that? Exactly what Zacchaeus did. Go to verse 9. Go back to verse 9 of Luke 3. And he said, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore quick bringeth forth not good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. This is what was driving them. To give back to the society. I don't know if I got in there. 
Yeah. And this one informed what Zacchaeus did. Because told him, don't take more than what is expected of you. So now Zacchaeus has concluded in his heart. He took more than what is expected. And he's afraid that this thing will happen to him. This now will happen to him. So he's, I'm going to give back to this society. It's not a question of going to make individuals that he duped and give them back what he took from them. Are you getting the picture? So everything that Zacchaeus did had nothing to do with what? Restitution. No, no, no. It was just a moral way of living. He took from the society. He wanted to give back to the society. Very simple. Nothing more than that. And rich people, when they come to the Lord, they do the same thing. They have all their money, give them out. Amen? We have this man that sold land. What do you call him? And bring you to the apostles' feet, and that is what Barnabas. So, are you saying Barnabas what he did was restitution? Not at all. But he gave back to the cause of the gospel because he had land, he had money, he sold it and gave back to the cause of the gospel. Nothing to do with restitution. Praise the living God. So, friends, I want us to understand this: that restitution is not a biblical injection for anybody to be saved. Restitution have nothing to do with you going to heaven. If you don't do it, you don't go to heaven. The thief went to paradise without restitution. The jailer was saved without restitution. Onesimus was saved without restitution. Is anybody going to understand what I'm talking about? So there is, I mean, a couple of scriptures, number of personalities in the Bible that got saved without thinking about restitution. And that is a life that I want you to have. That is the belief I want you to have. That's the understanding I want you to have. Just how we find in Isaiah chapter 6. Once you are saved, you are saved. Your past is gone. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Nothing to do with your past. I remember what Paul would say in the book of Philippians. This one thing I do. How many of you remember that? Forgetting the past. I'm praying forward to the mark. Forgetting the past. Paul knew what he stands for. He knew who he was. He knew the things he did. But he said, this one thing I do, I forget the past. Not you don't do my past. Don't let anybody remind you about your past. Don't let anybody in any way deceive you about your past. To think about you trying to do restitution to anybody, you just kind of first play do it. I was telling somebody when he asked me a question, as a, for instance, if in about... Let's say 20 years ago, you stole some money, and let's say it was about 20,000. What should be the value of that money now? Think about that. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Good. You are not going to pay 20,000. You are going to be the value of that money today. How are you going to be able to do that? Huh? <laughs> Before, you see, we have issues with the father of faith. Reissues with the father of faith. A similar thing that happened in South Africa. You know how many of you understand that apartheid was supported by Christians who preach that when God made man, the black man was not supposed to mix up with the white man. That God created that in Genesis. And for you to say the white man is equal to the black man 
is a sin. These are the foundation of our father in South Africa and from the Christian community. You see that? Because of wrong interpretation, wrong understanding of what the Bible is all about. So, more people are into bondage today because of teachings instead of freedom. We have more people in bondage, more people in captivity, more people whose conscience is not clean towards God, more people who are always feeling guilty because of their past. Because when you believe in the doctrine of restitution, the way the church is teaching it, and you don't have any means of doing that restitution, tell me what faith, what mind you have, even when you are praying. You're praying with a guilty conscience. Praise the living God. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, the last two verses there, it tells you anything you do without faith is sin. So we have more people sinning in the church. Because the practice they are into, they don't have a good conscience with it. They don't have a good mind in what they are doing. They are all afraid. They can't call God Father in the true sense. Praise the living God. Are you following what I'm saying here? So friends, Zacchaeus is not an example of restitution. Because he didn't practice restitution. If he were to practice restitution, then he would take a ram to the priest. Together with the money that he stole. And he must locate the individuals that he stole the money from, or he took the money from, or he cheated in the course of collecting taxes. He must locate those people. So, it's similar like now you have those in the tax office, and uh, you know what they do in the tax offices, right? There's nothing new. Everything has been there from the very beginning. So, if one of them, maybe the head of the department of tax now, got repented, you say, you should do restitution. That means, of all the people you took extra from, in the term of competing taxes, you should go and locate those people. How is he going to find them? Because you can't take it to the government. No, you didn't defraud the government, you defraud the individuals. Praise the living God. So, it's not a rejoicing in the new faith that God has given to them. They are in bondage, they are in captivity. And this is one of the major reasons why a lot of people don't want to become Christians. Because they know that this is the kind of thing that is obtainable there. So the question is, no, 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 I cannot do it. I won't be able to do that. That's why so many people can't come to the Lord. They have to stay out. Amen? And so we even tell you, I remember one of my landlords in those days, and he so called, I would tell you something. Say, David, you don't be in a hurry. I mean... We are all sinners, we are all that, and you know what they taught in the church. So the best thing is when you are almost like 70, 80, when you are getting ready to die, you just go to church so that when you die, they bury you. Because of the attitude of Christians, because of this kind of doctrines, and that's what he did. He stayed on for almost about 80 something years. When he was sick, he just went to one pastor, one CAC pastor there, and the man prayed for him. They rejoiced, oh, this man have repented, blah, blah, blah. Not about two weeks down, the man kicked the bucket. The church had to bury him because he was a Christian. But all this while, he refused. He said, he can't become a Christian. And that's because of the teachings and the manner of things that we do. This thing we're discussing is so vital and important. It has put so many people in bondage. And I know how many calls I'm receiving since I put it up on Facebook. Somebody even told me, we thank God for the boldness you have. 
because no people, not, not quite a couple of persons will be able to do this because of the fear of the way they look at them. I said, for me, I better speak the truth and lose all the people if that's what it means. You don't put people in bondage just because you are trying to uphold a doctrine which is not true. And a lot of people in those churches, they know that this thing is not true. They are unable to practice it, but because it is their doctrine, there's nothing they can do about that. Praise the living God. So friend, what am I trying to make you see? You are a free person. The day you come to the Lord, you are a free individual. Your past is dead. I used to like one statement in the book of Joshua. God called Joshua and said, Joshua, now my servant Moses is what? Is dead. Nothing to do with Moses. Move on. Let me show you what you need to do next. And that's exactly what I'm saying. All of this doctrine that keeps you in bondage is what? Dead. You are a free person. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.